back them dark and dusty drapes Let in some light Tell Billboy come get my trunk Cause I'm leaving here Hey everyone, and welcome back to a new episode of Meryl Streep in the Movies with Zachary Scott Johnson and Meryl McNally. How are you today, Meryl McNally? I'm excellent. How are you? I'm good. We're trying a new format today. We're recording a different way, so hopefully people will notice a positive difference in our sound quality here. Yes, one of us will no longer be in a tunnel. (laughs) It kind of alternated which one of us it was. It was good. So, well, what have you been up to this week? What have you, have you seen anything? It's actually been relatively recently that we talked. So I don't know if you've seen anything since, but. So I, I saw two things. One is a, one's a new musical at the public called uh, We're Only Alive for a Short Time, Uh Short Amount of Time. It was written by, um, he's a a playwright and composer and actor. His name is David uh, Kale and it is um, it was autobiographical and it was really it was powerful it was about his um, uh, he grew up in um, England in a place called Luton uh, north of London and when he was I think in his early teens I want to say 13 his father actually murdered his mother oh goodness and went on trial for it. His grandfather on his dad's side um, was somehow connected to the Cray brothers and not on the up and up. So it's a re- it was a really interesting musical. And he played, he played all of the members of his family, including his mother. And so there were sort of these long monologues with music and it was lovely. Um, the other thing I watched, which I'm really interested to discuss with you is A Star is Born. Ah, uh, yeah. Did you see it? Oh, yeah. I saw it in the theater. Okay. So we talked about this on the podcast, I think. I did not go see it because I think we've discussed I'm not a massive Bradley Cooper fan. Right. And um, I just, uh, the preview didn't look appealing to me. I found the movie really interesting. I'm curious. Yeah, I want to revisit your thoughts on it because I was very moved. Uh-huh. And then... I took time to think about it. It was like so many problems. Yeah. Um, my take on it was I thought Gaga was amazing. I mm-hmm. thought she was fantastic. Agreed. Um, I thought Bradley Cooper did a great job of directing it. Yeah. I, I liked how he directed it. Um, I He bugged me with his performance so much. And part of it like was not entirely his fault. <laughs> like it's one of those things where it's just like, we get it, Bradley Cooper. You know what I mean? Like, you're a good-looking guy. Like, isn't that enough? You know what I mean? Like, he's always dating somebody who's 25 years younger than him in these movies. He's like, you know, it's, it not that enough? Now you've got to take the rock star thing, too. It's just kind of like, I didn't buy it. I, I didn't buy it. I don't think it's, I feel like there are other people who could have played that part. You know what I mean? And it's not really his fault for wanting to play that part. It's not like he's... He's not got a terrible voice. I can see, you know, like it's it's a good thing wanting to spread your wings and try something new. But it bugged me that it was him. And then I just thought his performance to me was like it was like he was doing a weird Jeff Bridges, Sam Elliott impression rather than like an authentic performance. Lady Gaga spoke the language of what it is to be a rock star he felt inauthentic to me and he felt fake to me. I didn't buy him as this guy who's like been chiseled, you know, and like just worn down from years on the road. I didn't get that from him. No. So, okay. So that's really interesting. So I wasn't, I came into it very skeptical. I actually did like his performance. It's inconsistent, right? Right. Like at times he was a rough, roughed up, like hardened, like country star at another point he's a rock and roller like you're never quite sure it's very um it's very malleable it's not clear so that's problematic because it kind of waters it down i think i think the real problem is with the script he he, because he co-wrote it i think he was unwilling to make himself a bad guy because you don't have an addict like that 
who can have a solid relationship with somebody but for the addiction. Yeah. And it didn't deal with that at all. And I, in some ways, I appreciated it that it didn't, like, buy into, like, tropes and, and, and sort of things that have been done so many times in terms of exploring, like, what that means. But also, it left Lady Gaga's character without any agency. She's just having these things happen to her, and she's just okay with it. Like, she's kind of sad. Right. But that's it. Right. That's just not how human beings interact. And so it it was just missing something in that regard because I don't think he was willing to be, I don't mean bad guy and like, you know, you're a villain and there's nothing good about you since, but he was unwilling to let that character be complicated. Right. Right. And so it just like, and it was so funny. Like I was very moved by it to the point where I watched it twice. To figure really? out, yeah, I watched it twice, um, and I and I do I do think that they have chemistry, and I I did like his performance. Interesting. Just didn't go where it needed to go, and she's obviously phenomenal. She's phenomenal. That's why I watched it. She is a fucking rock star. Excuse yeah. me, which <laughs> that's that's truest sense of the word. She's it. Yeah. She's so authentic and she's so, I think that's the other thing that I really loved about her performance too, is that she's so, she's not self-conscious. She's just like willing to put everything out there. And I think that's a, as somebody who like, I don't particularly know her music, um, but I'm impressed by her. You know, she, I think is a true artist that's you know like not just a rock star but like an artist a legit artist what she's doing is unique what she's doing is pushing boundaries and i respect that and i think also what she's doing is also good you know but and so i think it's just that thing where i don't know he he, i i can't say i thought he was bad i don't think he was bad i just kind of it bugged me that it just didn't ring 100% true. But maybe that's my bias. You know what I mean? Maybe I didn't want it to ring. No, no, it didn't. I I mean, I I obviously have some bias too, but it didn't ring quite true because I think he's a good enough actor. I don't think he was willing to go there in the writing. Yeah. I really do think that was a big part of the problem. Also, there was a real there was a real uh, identity crisis with the music like who who are they like are we in 2018 where are cell phones like why aren't people getting on the internet like there's like this it's so insular it's un, it's sort of unwilling to recognize that it's 2018 and not the 1970s version of a star is born right you know right. that it, it just struggled a little bit in that regard i think the real issues in the script yeah oh yeah well not to mention i mean this is hardly the first film to do this but like you know, she wrote half of a song that she played for him one time. He and his band have magically learned it. Yes. After hearing it one time, remembered all the words, remembered all the chord changes, fixed like, everything, wow. came up with the full band version and performed this flawless version. No right. It just kind of, you know, there are things like that that's just, unless that you're- hard to buy into. Like, she gets nominated for Grammys and somebody else tells her, like, she wouldn't be waiting to find out. And then and then later he's like, I know you got nominated for Grammys. And she's like, how did you find out? And I was like, the internet? Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a thing. Yes, right. there's some problems with it that way, too. Yeah. Well, and one of my favorite movies, I think I only talked about this really briefly when it came out, but actually one of my favorite movies this last year was The Mule, that Clint Eastwood one. I thought that I've one, seen it. oh, it's so good. And I, I, I was really surprised that didn't get more attention at award season. And Bradley Cooper is in that as well. He's another one who like all the old dudes, Clint Eastwood loves him and Robert De Niro loves him. Like he's somehow in with like everybody. So he must be a nice guy, but you know, um, Bradley Cooper is really good in that movie. It's not that he's a bad actor. It's and I don't mean to like take anything away from him. I just feel like a star is born. There's something about that role in him. I wish it had been somebody else, is really what it comes down to. I agree, to. because I think there's 
God, there's like a level of insecurity, I think, that doesn't allow him to go quite where he needs to go to yeah. get done. And I, you know, I can't really throw stones. I don't think I could do it. But like, yeah, there's like, um, there's just an unwillingness to go to an ugly place. Yeah. Yeah. Well, glad we got the Star is Born chat in there. <laughs> got it in there. Um, so that's what I've seen. Have you seen anything? Uh, I did. I saw the new Men in Black. Um, again, I took my view oh. to see that. It's <laughs> super fun. Is it fun? It's fun. It's not as fun, I don't think, as the old ones. Okay. Um, uh, I don't know. I feel like there are some things about it that I like. I appreciate that the fact and like the really capable one instead of being the old man, Tommy Lee Jones is, is really the, they kind of almost flip the, the thing. And it's not like the one who's been there longer, which is whichever Hemsworth. I don't know if that's Liam or Chris Hemsworth in that one. Okay. So it's not him who's like been at the, in this squad a while. It's the new recruit. And I don't remember what her name is. Is it Tessa Thompson? Is that her name? Okay. And she's really good. I don't think I've ever seen her in anything, but she's really like the smart, capable one, which I think is good. She's phenomenal. Yeah, she's really good. Yeah, she, um, well, she she was in Thor, and I think they're banking off her chemistry with Chris Hemsworth from that. She played Valkyrie, and then she's she's done a lot of other great work. Too. I can't wait to see what she does. I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if she wins an Oscar before it's all said and done. Yes, yeah. it's just to me like Will Smith has that like it's it's always so like sarcastic and it's always so like you know he can he's just so funny and so like charismatic that yeah. I didn't find any of that really in this particular one like it wasn't really funny it was more of like an action adventure you know stop these aliens kind of thing and to kind of it seemed like didn't have as much personality to it and was just more of like a mainstream you know, action movie. That's actually too bad because Chris Hemsworth is quite funny and can be, can be quite subversive with his humor. And Tessa Thompson makes a great like foil for that. Like they make a really good pair. It works really well in Thor. Uh, uh, Tika Watiti directed the latest Thor movie, and it has a lot of that really sort of funny, goofy, offbeat humor. Uh-huh. Um, so they're 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 capable of it. Um, so it's kind of sad that they didn't cash in on that. Right. Actually, the really the laughs from this come from the voice of I'm probably going to butcher his name, but that Kumail Nanjani. Um, he does the yeah. voice. He does the voice of one of these little like characters, creatures. Um, everybody knows him from like Big Sick and um, yes, a lot of stuff. He's been in a lot of stuff at this point, um, and he's funny in it as the voice of this like tiny little um, alien guy. So most of the uh, you know humor comes from him rather than the leads, which is I don't know kind of interesting. It's interesting. Um, Emma Thompson is kind of wasted in this. Even Liam Neeson, to a certain extent, is almost wasted in this. I didn't even know who was in it. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, um, it's it's fine. You know, it's not. It probably is better in the theater than a rental. I think it's worth seeing. It's just not one that you need to like run out to see. Just you know, <laughs> when you can, when sure. you find yourself with time, but. Yeah, I feel like there was... Some, oh, you know what else I saw that I thought was really interesting was the miniseries Escape at Donnemara. Oh, um, I almost watched that this week. It's really good. Um, it's, yeah, it wasn't on my radar at all, and then Patricia Arquette started winning awards for it. And I'm like, what is this? It's good. And she's amazing in it. As She's another one who, I got to say, like, if you had asked me before Boyhood, I don't... You know, five years ago, let's say, um, Patricia Arquette was like, I, I was aware of who she was, but like, you know, is not somebody that I had really any impression of positive or negative and man alive, her work over these last couple of years, she is so good. Yeah. I, I, and I have unfortunately not seen it, which I need to because she's rocking and rolling. Yeah. Have you seen boyhood? No. The, the Oscar for. Yeah. No, that one is a long, uh, kind of 
splurge to get through. But between this and then she was in that miniseries, The Act, on Hulu. And, like, she's just playing all these really, like, transformative roles where you don't even really know it's her. I also have to say there's something about her voice that very frequently reminds me of Meryl. She's got this laugh that is very similar to Meryl's laugh. Interesting. Just voice-wise. Yeah. But I, you know, if you played me a clip and said, who, you know, who's this laugh? I would say Meryl. It sounds like her. I feel like, have we talked about this? Like years and years. I love Patricia Arquette so much because of one single movie. And she did it years ago. I think it's called Wildflower. Reese Witherspoon is in it. Um, uh, Bo Bridges, I think, plays her dad. They're this farming family. And Patricia Arquette plays the daughter of like a neighboring family. But they like, they keep her in a cage. Huh. And like they let her out sometimes, so she hasn't she hasn't learned to like read or speak essentially. And these two kids, um, the son and daughter, one of which is Reese Witherspoon, they like sort of take her under their wing and like teach her to read. And, and I, you know, I saw I think I saw it on Lifetime when I was young, you know. Um, but it was so captivating for me that it's like it's got a nostalgic place in my heart. Is like one of my favorites. Yeah, and I, and I will love Patricia Arquette forever because of it. She's so lovely in it. I'm looking at it. Yeah, it came out in 1991, and it is a TV yeah. movie. Yeah. I was nine. I was mesmerized. Oh, Diane Keaton directed that. Oh yes. Yeah, I yeah. Wonder, I wonder if we talked about that during our Diane Keaton episode. I think we may have. I have a vague memory of talking about it. Our our listeners could tell us. Um. Yeah, cool. But um, so Escape of Denim, or if you can find it, is really good. I got it again. It's showtime. Yeah, oh, do you? Yeah, see, I don't. I got it on the DVD um, thing. It's already out on DVD, so it's been out for a little while now. Ben Stiller directed all seven episodes, but it's a true story. These two guys who managed to escape prison with help from the inside. It was a really amazing, like, just kind of absurd story takes place in upstate New York. I think it's Albany. I can never remember if it's Albany or one of the other ones, but it's somewhere in that area. It's Paul Dano, right? Paul Dano is the other, is the other escapee. Benicio del Toro and Paul Dano. Um, yeah, there are a couple other people. Bonnie Hunt plays um, like one of the people who's doing uh, the kind of questioning of everybody afterwards. Uh, David Morse, who's such a great character actor. Oh, yeah. Um, I just saw him last year in that Denzel Washington um, play that I saw. Yeah. Oh. Iceman Man Cometh. I've seen it. Yeah. So anyway. All right. Well, shall we get into? Oh, you know, before we get into Ricky and the Flash, which is the movie we're doing today, let's talk about the big Meryl news. news. Do you want to give this news? I'm guessing people who listen to a Meryl podcast might already know about this, but yeah, they probably do. You know more about this show than I do. I do. Okay, so Meryl Streep has signed on to do Ryan Murphy's adaptation of The Prom, the musical for Netflix. And um, the prom opened on Broadway in the fall. And it's a really, really lovely, fun show. It's about this, this uh, teenage girl um, who is trying to get the right to take her girlfriend to prom in mid- Midwest America in Indiana. And, you know, the PTA to school system is going to shut down prom and not let it happen because she can't do it. And these these two sort of washed out Broadway stars who've just been in a very bad production and gotten terrible reviews read about this high school student in Indiana and decide that they're going to go to Indiana to advocate for her to basically try and get their PR machine back up and running, like to give them clout because their career is in the toilet. And so... These two Broadway stars and and they like gather two other people. They all travel to Indiana to essentially advocate for this teenager, and they are sort of tone deaf and ridiculous. It's quite funny. Nice. The show itself is wildly entertaining. It's uh, Casey Nicola did the choreography. He did um, Mean Girls, uh, Book of Mormon. And, um, but it just has not gotten the traction with audiences. 
Uh-huh. Because it doesn't have, it's not a star vehicle. Um, the songs, it's not as catchy as some musicals are. And I don't know, for whatever reason, it just hasn't had the longevity um, on Broadway. And so they're closing it in August. But Ryan Murphy picked up the rights immediately and is adapting it for films. And Meryl Streep is playing one of the Broadway stars. Nice. Yeah, it's interesting casting. Yeah. Um, it's all over the map age-wise in a way that the stage show is not. Okay. Um, but I do think it'll be fun. Like, I found it very interesting that uh, Keegan and Michael Keyes is going to play the principal, who is Meryl Streep's love interest. Oh, I didn't know that. The yeah. only ones I knew were um, Meryl, uh, Nicole Kidman, Ariana Grande, and James Corden. I didn't know there were other people. Yeah, and and um, also James James Corden is a lot younger than the than than the character, or really the actor playing it in the Broadway show. Okay. Hmm. Um. So it'll be it'll it'll be interesting. It's going to be an interesting adaptation. It's going to be fun. It's a really fun story. Yeah. Well, it sounds it sounds interesting. Meryl is now in the Ryan Murphy machine. Um, yeah. Which has taken at one point or another pretty much all the great actresses at this point. Like yeah. he's, you know, between American Horror Story and Jessica Lange and Few right. with her and Susan Sarandon and Kathy Bates is in all of that stuff. And it's, there's so much. But um, so I think, I think it'll be good. It'll be, a, it said it's on, it's a Netflix thing. So um, I think it'll get a limited theater run before it's on Netflix it's positioned, I guess, next year or December. So it, you know, like they're positioning it at this point for awards. Yep. Stuff. So. It's gonna be interesting. So. Paul Kidman is perfect casting. Is she? Yeah. She's. She's really great. She is another one who I think is under. I mean, like she's a giant star. So see, saying underrated is a funny thing, but I don't think people really like think of her as often anymore as like one of the really great, but like she's so versatile and she's just pumping out. I started thinking about that the other day. I was watching something that she was in and I was like, I bet nobody knows about this one. Like she's in so much stuff that. So quietly versatile and she's not, um, she's not afraid to take smaller character roles. Um, yeah, she's really great. I, I agree. She's underrated, despite her being like an A-list top. You know, I don't. I don't think people talk about her enough. I agree. Right, right. Well, that'll be good. All right, shall we dive into Ricky and the Flash? Let's do it. All right. So, Ricky and the Flash is our movie from the 2010s. I think this one was 2015. It came out, and okay. you want to do the rundown on the uh, plot? Sure. Ricky and the Flash is two separate movies in one. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. It starts out, Meryl Streep plays sort of a washed up rocker. She's got, she's Ricky. Her band is the Flash and they're playing in some dive bar. And you can tell she's just sort of, she's never really grown up. And um, her career really hasn't gone anywhere. You find out she's got an ex-husband and children and a daughter who has just gotten divorced and her ex-husband is played by um, Kevin Klein, And he asks her to fly out to wherever they live to see their daughter because she's just gotten a divorce and is in a rough place. So the film sort of starts out as this like mother daughter heal the relationship movie. And then, and then it decides to drop that plot. <laughs> And then becomes about like Meryl Streep's character getting her shit together. Right. And being a feel good family comedy. I'm not sure. It doesn't know what it's doing. I, that's not a very decent plot synopsis, but that's about the best I can do. Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. That's the key points of this. This movie is, it's interesting because it's like, it starts and ends with long like concert sequences. She probably, they probably play like three or four songs in the very beginning. And at the end, they sing a couple more too. And there is no editing. Right. Yeah. Full, full versions of these songs, which to me is the appeal, like seeing Meryl Streep 
you know, sing rock and roll and play guitar. Like that's what I'm interested in, in this movie. The other stuff, not so much. Um, And even those sequences I think could be better. I actually really don't like the mixing for the songs at all. Like her voice is not front and center at all the way it should be. However, the, I guess all of the songs were recorded live. Like it wasn't in the studio and then they lip sank them. What they were doing, they were actually recording them live there. So that's probably why. Yeah. They wanted the authenticity of like playing it live. They didn't want to fake anything, which I have to say that part I appreciate because I can't tell you how many times I've seen a movie and especially on violin. This doesn't happen quite as often with guitar, but like, There'll be you'll be hearing notes and the like bow will just not match at all. Oh, no. that's got to be frustrating for you as a violin player. I have talked to people who actually have the same thing about like dancing. People who are good at dancing and they go to see movies where dancing is a high thing and it's it's like no 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 that's not right form and it's not correct this it's not correct that. I'm like that with music where I can see oh it's it's just not really playing. So this is very authentic. Yeah. I mean they really are playing. But I think it suffers sound-wise because of that. So I don't know which is the better route on this one. But anyway, so it starts and ends with these long sequences. But yeah, the stuff in between is just a little rough, all things considered. Like, they set her up as being a closeted, not-so-closeted conservative. Right. Then they do nothing with it. Right. And so there's a lot of that. There's a lot of setup of these various, like, there's sort of these strings of plot that get set up, and then nothing happens with them. Right. And you're like, oh, this was a really, this, this is a really interesting thing you've set up, and now it's going nowhere. Right. And I, wonder, <laughs> I wonder how much of, I wonder how much of that was, like, the, like, kind of inside joke of, okay, it's funny to see, um you know, very, very famously liberal Meryl Streep make jokes about Obama. How much of that, you know, versus how much of this actually really helps her character. You know, like how much of this really matters in terms of who this person is. But um, it's such an amazing point of antagonism, especially with her son who's gay. And and they just like the script wasn't willing to go there. Right. And when it did, I have to say, I, I, I think I like this movie probably a little bit better than you did. But the, um, the one thing that really bugged me about this movie was the end scene. The, like, the whole family gets up and starts like singing. And everything's to- okay now. I know. That was so cheesy and ridiculous. Because there was no real resolution to any of it. It was just like, I don't know. There was something very... Her music brought everybody together and everything's exactly. fine now. Yeah. Only yeah. she was a terrible mother <laughs> and scarred them terribly, but we can ignore that. <laughs> yeah. yeah there, the ending bugged me quite a bit. But outside of that, I don't know. I, I can see the appeal of this movie. I can see why Meryl said yes to this. It's working with Jonathan Demme, who's recent. Well, not recently, but, you know, Silence of the Lambs. Yep. Script by Diablo Cody shortly after Juno. This isn't the follow-up to it, but, you know, she was a hot commodity at that point. Yeah. She gets to work with her daughter and gets her daughter a, like, prime gig in a major movie, which, let's be honest, as good as she is, she might not have gotten that role if Meryl was not playing that character. Yep. She gets to reunite with Kevin Klein. They've worked together now in three movies, but they also did that Shakespeare in the Park thing. So, like, clearly they get along and they enjoy working together. She gets to sing and play guitar. There are reasons that she said yes to this. It's really clear. It's a fun gig for her. And I can be really hard on it. The truth is it was enjoyable to watch because it's Meryl Streep and Kevin Klein and Mamie Gump. Like, all of these people have wonderful chemistry. Audra McDonald is fantastic in it. Um... The even the guys who plays their the, her sons, um, it's an it's an enjoyable watch because they are very good at what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it just it just had some it had some script issues. Also, I loved loved Meryl Streep singing rock music. Like her voice is better suited for that kind of music than it is the Broadway stuff. Interesting. I enjoy listening to her sing that music. Yeah. For For, sure. I, do, I do too. 
I again, like for me, it all comes down to like the really bad mix. Yeah, I agree. It's not good. But um, yeah, no, I agree. I love hearing her sing um, all of the. I, I like seeing hearing her sing all of these songs for sure. Um, it's yeah, I don't know. This this one is more probably confusing than most of the ones in her filmography in terms of it's just squarely in the middle. It's fine. There's nothing amazing about this movie, yeah. um, but there's also nothing. It, you're exactly right. It is entirely the script because the performances yeah. are are totally good. The direction, I think, is good. Um, it's just there are so many, I don't know, tweaks that could be made with this one that would make it a better experience i think she doesn't really have to be that sort of um i mean maybe maybe that's not true the i think you either need to follow one thread or the other you need to make her more unlikable that was the thing is like we always liked her we always saw her as like rebel we always saw her as somebody who was kind of living life on her own terms which a lot of people myself included see that and kind of admire that but then you're also supposed to look at her and say, oh, kind of a shitty mother. Well, you know, I don't know. There's something in there that we got to follow one of those threads more so than the other, unless that's the point of the movie. But I don't think that's the point of the movie that like, you know, bad mothers are sometimes bad mothers because they're, you know, living their own dreams. Is that what we're supposed to think about this? I think so. I mean, what's sad is that they set the film sets up a really uh, sort of a really great story to explore with the daughter right because her daughter obviously hates her and they're alienated and and well not hates her but you know what I mean has a lot of anger towards her and but she's going through this really rough time and you do need your mom sometimes even when you don't like your mom you need your mom and and they have this sort of bonding experience. And then Audra McDonald comes in and says, you know, I don't think, I think you're a bad influence. And they started to set up this great conflict. And it really was about Meryl Streep and her daughter. And, and then they just like walked away from it. Yeah. Well, and not to mention too, like, yeah, you're right. She does hate Meryl. Like she does hate Mamie's character hates Meryl's character you know she starts I feel like their first interaction she's just like yelling at her yeah. but they spend one pleasant day together and everything's fine yeah. like really truly everything is fine there's no even like sort of residual um, kind of like anger it's just like it's all gone after that yeah. one day and then they're allies and they're allies kind of against everybody else including Audra McDonald who it has almost the opposite almost the opposite thing where actually that to me is maybe the best scene in the movie is between the two of them yes between Meryl and Audra McDonald because it kind of is surprising actually that it takes the turn that it does um that Audra McDonald's character kind of stands up to her the way that she does and is you know as forceful with her as she is yeah uh, but it you know where she kind of is pleasant in the beginning and then they have this kind of brutal scene together where she kind of lays into her in a way that really nobody else in the movie does. Yeah. And then at the end, kind of out of nowhere, we find out they've become friends again and that they're cool with each other. And, you know, like yeah. it, it's that Hollywood thing where they intentionally don't show us that scene so that they can tell us about the scene later. Yeah. And it's probably the right choice, but it also seems sometimes when the script is a little iffy, it can also come across as, wait a sec, what happened there that we missed? You know, yeah. it's a, it's a kind of funny thing, but yeah, I don't know. The, the movie did pretty well. I remember seeing it in the theater. That was it. This was the first time I'd watched it since seeing it in the theater. I remember going to see it, um, but the, it was budgeted at about 18 million and um, it made 26 almost 27 in the u.s but i think worldwide it made something like 43 million something like that so it did decently you know it's definitely not a it's definitely not a uh uh well i can't think of the word blockbuster well it's not a blockbuster but it's also not a flop oh yeah no, definitely. Uh, i know i it do wonder well yeah it was marketed very well and meryl streep's a draw yeah, well, actually, that's so that's the thing is I actually wonder, though, if they had higher hopes for it, because remember, this was during that stretch 
where she had kind of owned the summer for a while. You know, I guess this is 10 years after Devil Wears Prada, but there was that she had that run where between this and like, I think Julia and Julia was a summer surprise movie. There were a couple yeah. other ones where she was one of those kind of counter programming things for a while against all these big summer blockbusters was the Meryl Streep movie that appealed to a different demographic than the shoot em up stuff. Yeah. Um, and so this one, I, I feel like was, yeah, it was released on August 7th. So it was a, it was a summer thing. And I wonder if they kind of expected that it might be bigger. I would think so. Yeah. I would think so. Because if it, if, if the script hadn't had the issues it had, if the storytelling had been on the money, like this, this has the potential to be one of those movies that you buy and watch on repeat. Right. It has that dynamic, that sort of family, almost like Father of the Bride or, you know, like you, you would want to watch it. I think that's what they were going for. Right. So another thing, I don't know if you, if you know this, but it, so Diablo Cody, who wrote this again, you know, she's, she came along with Juno. That was kind of like, all of a sudden she was yeah. this giant um, personality, but she, um, I guess this is basically based on her real life mother-in-law. Um, who's been like singing in dive bars for, for years and years. So I don't know. Um, yeah. Uh, we didn't mention yet that Rick Springfield is in the band and is kind of Meryl's current love interest. Oh, great. Jesse's girl. <laughs> oh God. I really, I love that song. That song has the greatest song lyric and by greatest, I mean worst song lyric of all time. Which is the point is probably the point is probably moot. Oh, I just think it's the strangest thing to put in a song. It rhymed, it worked, but I love that song for that line. I don't remember that. I'll have to listen for that. The I next tell time. her that I love her, but the point is probably moot. Oh, <laughs> and I just it's like, yeah, <laughs> uh, it's almost like uh, the monkeys lyric. Hey, hey, we're the monkeys. People say we monkey around, but we're too busy singing to put anybody down. I'm like, what is that? That makes zero sense. That's not even a logical sentence. Yeah, it's it's. <laughs> you can tell when songwriters are more lyric based and when it's all about being catchy. And when it's all about being catchy, the lyrics you could sing anything and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. <laughs> yep. Louis Louie. Um, <laughs> This is the last movie Jonathan Demi directed before he died, which is unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my favorite bit of trivia, I remember hearing this at the time. I haven't been able to um, verify this as I've been kind of looking at stuff since, you know, since I watched it, which is that Neil Young taught Meryl how to play guitar for this movie. Really? Which makes sense because Jonathan Demi has directed multiple like concert film slash documentaries about Neil Young. So like there would be the connection. Yeah. There. But awesome. yeah, kind of amazing. I, I imagine it had, it had to, I don't, I don't know why I can't find anything about that now, because I remember hearing about that at the time and being like, well, that is a nice little perk, isn't it? I mean, like if there's another reason to sign on for the movie, oh, by the way, Neil Young's giving you guitar lessons for this. Like, Stress me out so badly. Also, I think people underestimate, like there's so many stories about actors learning to play an instrument to do a role. That is terrifying business. Like I've picked up a guitar and just tried to teach myself and I actually can't do it because my wrists don't bend that way. Like it's actually painful and my hands are too small. Mm -hmm. And so I really don't like, I don't think people realize how challenging and how impressive that is. Right. When an actor picks up an instrument as an adult for the first time and learns within a short period of time to be proficient enough to pull it off on screen. Right. Well, we're going to talk about that a lot more when we get to music of the heart, because yeah. that's when Meryl like studied and practiced eight hours a day for weeks to learn violin for that yeah. one. But she's legit on this. However, I assume she's at you know like played guitar at least a little at some point in her life before this. Like she, but she is for sure legit on this. She's got she's got good skills, but she's she's got good musicianship, and I think that she's 
you know, like her musician chops. I think people make fun of them now. They think she sings in too many movies and whatever. I like that about her because I think she's good. I think she's legit good. Yeah. But um, I think this is one of those ones that you can look to and see that she's really playing and she's really singing and it's not, you know, it's not faked. It's it's legit. But um, any favorite scenes or anything else you want to talk about in this one? We're kind of rushing through this because I have an obligation I have to get through. It feels rushed, but also I don't have a ton to say about this movie. Uh, no, me either. My favorite scene is with her and Audra McDonald. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I was surprised that Audra McDonald was used as little as she is in this movie, but it kind of makes sense. It's more quality rather than quantity. She gets yeah. good stuff when she's in it. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's it's good. I think it's, you know, for me, I would put it like I, I put it on my list. And I think in terms of performances, I have it 11 out of 25 so far. And for the movies, I have it 14 out of 25. Okay. I haven't so. ranked it yet. I'll rank it for next episode. We'll stick it in there. Sure. Nice. All right. Shall we move on to our other segments? Yeah. Which one do you want to do first? Movies Meryl was almost in or Six Degrees? Um, let's do movies Meryl was almost in. Okay, which I don't know why we keep calling it that. I know, because that's that's not it. It um, I thought of the one that I was, we, for people who listened to our last episode, it sounds like we, I, I edited it poorly and it sounded like we just completely forgot to do this segment. What actually happened was we started with that and we were like, oh, we'll come back to this. And we just never did. <laughs> so... It just sounded like we completely forgot it in the thing. But the reason that we did that is because I was trying to remember a movie that I had in my head at the time that I couldn't remember in the moment. But I did think of it, which is, um, it's speaking of Denzel Washington, it's a it's an underrated, very underseen Denzel Washington movie called Deja Vu. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie. You know what? I have. I don't remember anything about it, but for the fact that I enjoyed it. Okay, so here is... Here's my story about this movie. Um, I was doing this national tour with this show that lasted for six months or something. And so we were, you know, going around the country and we were, it was a really pretty grueling tour. We were not just in a different city every day, but we were like in a different state every day. There was like eight or nine of us in a van and, you know, we just drove around, we'd set up the set during the day and then do the show at night. And then like the next day we'd have to drive six hours and do the whole thing again. It was really grueling. And there were just a few times that we managed to, they, I think union wise, they had to give us one day a week off or two days a week off or something like that. But it was always, it was always kind of conflicting with our travel anyway. So we never really got breaks, but the couple of times that we did, we went to see movies and there was, uh, the, the four girls in our company went to see something else. And me and the two guys went to see this Denzel Washington movie called Deja Vu, which we knew nothing about. Okay. And that's the best way to see this movie because there's a twist halfway through that like it kind of becomes science fiction-y out of nowhere. It looks like just like your average thriller. And then it has this like supernatural element to it where it's it's kind of unique. But I, I rewatched it and I thought, you know, there is a bit of a love story, sort uh-huh. of, but it's not it's not like that huge a part of the movie. It's more yeah. about like accomplishing the goal that Denzel's character needs to accomplish. Um, and I, I don't know. It's just, again, kind of a movie we've never seen her do. Yeah. So that's my choice. You said you had something in mind too, didn't you? Yeah. One of my favorite movies of all time, like definitely in the top 10, if not the top five is Miss Pettigrew lives for a day with Francis McDormand and Amy Adams. I love it. Um, Frances McDormand is perfection in it, so I would never replace her, but it'd be really fun to see Meryl Streep do that role. Yeah. I'd be curious what she would do with it. I'm going to rewatch that one. I, that's another one that I saw when it came out. I don't think I saw that in the theater, but, um, yeah, I saw it when it came out and I liked it, but I, I don't remember having strong opinions about that one either. Yeah. And you know what? I think I love it so much, um, because 
I really, it really sort of has a um, old school Hollywood feel to it, like story wise. Mm-hmm. And I tend to gravitate toward that sort of kind of really sweet, really sweet offbeat love stories that have sort of that classic bent to them. So um, Easy Virtue is also another one of my big favorites. It's in my top five for sure with Kristen Scott Thomas and Colin Firth and oddly enough, Jessica Biel. Um, yeah, it's worth watching. Nice. But Carol would have been great in it. Yeah, I'll check it out again. I yeah. wonder if she was considered for it. Again, it's kind of like we talked about last time with Tom Hanks. At this point, you got to assume Meryl gets all the scripts first and can kind of choose what she wants. But I think Frances McDormand, to a certain extent, is also like somebody that writers write specifically for sometimes. Like she's such a unique type. So stunningly good. She's so good. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Well, I'll check that one out again. Um, okay. And then we had for our six degrees, we had Mackenzie Davis, um, which we were trying to pull somebody that, you know, was a little bit uh, younger who didn't have quite as many credits so that it's a little bit trickier to, to pull. Did you think of anything? No, <laughs> I'm so bad at this. So I try not to cheat. Mm-hmm. But then what ends up happening is that I just don't come up with anything, which is not useful for our segment or our listeners. <laughs> so I have like, I have like the beginning of threads because I, Mackenzie Davis was in um, Halt and Catch Fire with Lee Pace. Surely we can connect her that way. Or she was in, what else was she in? Oh, or the other guy from Halt and Catch Fire who was in uh, Godless. Surely there's a connection. Jeff Daniels. That's it. Woohoo! I did it. <laughs> there's another. There's an even faster connection to Jeff Daniels, though, because Mackenzie Davis and Jeff Daniels were both in The Martian. Oh, well, there you go. Scott one, yeah. And Jeff Daniels connects to Meryl through the hours. Um, there's actually, funnily enough, yeah, a connection. Harper, right? And what? And Harper, yes. Yeah. Cool. Um, there is funnily enough a connection to Ricky and the Flash too because it's through Diablo Cody but Diablo Cody also wrote a movie called Tully which yeah. came out a year or two ago with Charlize Theron and Mackenzie Davis yeah that was kind of Mackenzie Davis's first like leadish role in a in a like major I don't know if it was a yeah. major motion picture it was somewhat limited but um so it's kind of the Diablo Cody connection yeah. there too. But there were the Terminator, right? Yes, yeah, she's about to probably be huge. Well, and she was in the Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Oh yeah, too. Although it's not a huge role that she has in that. Right. Um, but yeah, she I feel like is maybe one who's about to break out a little bit bigger because of Terminator. Probably a lot bigger because of Terminator. She remi- I think it's her haircut, but she reminds me so much of Mary Stuart Masterson. Hmm. And I do think it's the haircut. Well, she's got one one thing that I kind of like about her is she's got this kind of um, she doesn't seem driven to me by like um, having that overwhelming fame. I guess we'll see how things change with Terminator, but like, I don't think she's on social media and she doesn't seem to like do very many interviews. And she just kind of like keeps a low profile rather yeah. than like kind of forces herself out there and overexposes herself. She yeah. seems more about the art than, like, fame. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, but going back to The Martian, I know there was at least one other connection there. Oh, Matt Damon, uh, too, because she's in The Martian with Matt Damon. And Matt Damon was in the Stuck on You, which Meryl has a cameo, <laughs> that Farrelly Brothers. Uh, I don't remember her in The Martian. I only saw it once. She actually has a decent role in that, too. She's basically the she one who... She's astronaut buddies. No, she's not on the ship. She she works at NASA, but she's kind of the one who first discovers that ships on Mars, or not, yeah, not ships, but like the the vehicles on Mars where Matt Damon's character is stranded, that he has moved the vehicles. So she notices that, which sets off the chain of, oh, he must still be alive because these vehicles wouldn't have moved unless he was moving them. So without her character, um, she plays like the young upstart who kind of solves yeah. the problems on Earth. 
that yeah, movie's really, really good movie. It is a really good movie. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Um, watch it. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, what do we got coming up next time, Meryl? This is we're going back to the seventies. We did seventies, eighties, nineties, twenty ten, twenties, and now two thousand. We're doing a real feel gooder. Um, we have decided to watch Holocaust, the miniseries from, it's from the seventies, right? 77. Yeah. Yeah. 77. Um, with Meryl Streep and, um, oh, what's his name? Ian Holm is in it. I don't remember who else is in it. Um, oh gosh. Well, he's sort of a, he's proven to be sort of a terrible human being now. The, um, oh my gosh, I can't think of his name. I'll have to edit this out while I look. Yeah, I can look it up too. Um, but it's James it's, somebody. James somebody? Yeah, yeah. I don't remember. Um, this is she did this before any movie that she'd been in. I think this miniseries was before she had been in any. This was kind of her first. Yeah, James Woods. Oh yeah. Oh, I didn't know he was in this. I totally yep. forgot that he was in this. Yep. Yeah, he is kind of the worst. Yep. <laughs> well, now we have more to talk about next time. I'm going to have some stuff to say about him next time. Right. Uh, for sure. I thought he was in something else. I remember that he was in something with her because he, he at the AFI tribute, he had a nice speech about Meryl. Oh. For some reason, I thought it was some movie in the early 80s. There are a couple there that Meryl did shortly after... Um, Shortly after um, her first partner, well, not first partner, but um, John Cazale died. Yeah. That are kind of low profile. She did, um, that was like when Still of the Night and Seduction of Joe Tynan and that kind of stuff, where yeah. you know, those are not like well known movies in her catalog. But so we actually only have two movies in the 70s left we have Holocaust and a really lesser known movie called the seduction of Joe Tynan, which is a movie she made with Alan Alda right after, um, Kazali died. Okay. And so those are the only two we have left in the seventies. And then we're done with the seventies movies. She didn't really make movies in the seventies until 79. So it makes sense that we're almost done, but right. you know, shorter time frame. Yeah. So we could, uh, wrap that up next time and then just have it down to four different decades. We I know, right. We still have plenty of movies to get through, yeah. But we're through 25 of them now, which is pretty good, so. We're doing well. Yeah. I can't believe we've been doing this since 2017. I know. Well, we've had some long pauses, which is. Yeah, 2018 was a little bit sparse. (laughs) Yeah, it happens. But, well, thanks, everybody. We will be back as soon as we can, and we always appreciate you listening. You can rate, review, and subscribe, and feel free to email us at MeryllStreetPodcast at gmail.com. You can also send us your answers for the six degrees thing. Nobody likes to play along with that game. People write very nice emails, but they don't play along with the game, which is kind of unfortunate. (laughs) Shocking. Oh, we we didn't say who the next six degrees person is. Oh, who did we pick? You picked somebody I had never heard of. Uh, yep, I did. And I'm going to think of it. Hang on. Hang on. It's there. Um, oh, Anthony Ramos. Ramos, yeah. Of Hamilton in the Heights. He's had a couple film roles. So look him up. Six degree it. This is going to be another tricky one, just like Zandaya for me, where I have to first figure out who this person is and then <laughs> backtrack. But I will do that. Yeah. So, all right. Well, have a good week, everybody, and we'll see you soon. Bye. That's all.